Uh, I'm a big fan of reading uh, biographies, especially biographies about U.S. presidents. And uh, I've read multiple biographies about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, one of our 20th century presidents. And in multiple biographies, uh, the same story is told about Roosevelt. It's a story about how much FDR despised uh, the long receiving lines that he would often have to stand, well, in his case, sit through. He would often have to endure. I think presidents still do this. People and ambassadors come and say hello to them, and it's, it's something that can take some time. And Roosevelt hated it. He thought it was completely formulaic, completely inane, and, and a total waste of time. And he had been doing this for some years when one day as he went towards another receiving line, he decided he was going to try and experiment. Um, he decided that to each person who passed down the line and, and shook his hand, he would sort of murmur under his breath, I murdered my grandma this morning. I murdered my grandma this morning. I murdered my grandma this morning. And, and so Roosevelt began to sort of silently, not silently, but quietly say that. And people would pass by and shake his hand completely oblivious to what he was saying. They would respond by saying, God bless you, Mr. President. Hope, hope you have a great day, Mr. President. We're proud of you, Mr. President. Keep up the good work, Mr. President. And, and it wasn't until the end of the line when the ambassador to Bolivia came through and greeted the president that someone heard his words. So the ambassador to, ambassador to Bolivia heard FDR say, I, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And nonplussed, the ambassador, after one beat, leaned over and whispered in his ear, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> I'm sure she had it coming. Listening, listening is important. You kids that have gone back to school this week have probably heard that. Listening is important, and it's especially important when you encounter someone that has authority over you. When you encounter a powerful person, it's wise to listen, to listen to what they say. Listening, in fact, is one of the key attributes of being a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, that might surprise you, but it's true. This story this parable, the parable of the sower, as we call it, is a parable about listening. It's about listening to Jesus and his word. It's the first parable that we encounter in the New Testament. It's the first parable in Matthew's gospel, and it's going to begin our fall teaching series. For the next couple of months, we're going to look at the parables. We're calling this series, He Told Stories. He Told Stories. We're calling it that because, well, that's exactly what a parable is a parable is a short, instructive, down-to-earth story that is intended to teach us about Jesus and about Jesus's kingdom, which is Matthew's main subject in his gospel. Now, in Matthew 13 alone, there are seven parables. We're going to look at most of them. The first two, what Daniel just read, the parable of the sower, and what we will look at next week, the parable of the weeds, are called the big field parables. And they both, in different ways, tell us about the origin of God's kingdom, how God's kingdom comes into the world and into your lives. So this morning, as we sit and as you listen to me, hopefully for a few minutes, I, I want us to just remember what's happening here. The Christian story and the Christian testimony tells us that when we're gathered in worship, we're actually sitting under Jesus himself. And that Jesus himself is speaking to us 
through his word, by his Holy Spirit, who has been poured out upon us, we're being this morning asked to do something. So this is an active time for you, not just a passive time. It's not a time for you to just sort of, sort of sit back and consider what I'm saying, although I hope you'll consider what I'm saying. I hope you'll do more. I hope you will be responsive to Jesus's word, because this morning he's calling you. He's counseling you. He's beckoning you. He's warning you. Whenever we encounter the Word of God, we're being summoned to listen, to listen to Jesus. And really, that's the point. That's the point of the parable, the story of the sower. We can summarize it really simply. The King James Version, the old translation of the Bible, translates verse 9 like this. The kingdom comes by hearing. Take heed how you hear. And that's the main idea. The kingdom comes by hearing. Take heed or be careful how you hear. Two points for you. First, the kingdom comes by hearing. Second, take heed how you hear. Okay? We'll look at each distinctive soil that Jesus talks about in just a moment. But focusing only on the response of the soils to the sower's seed can obscure a crucial point in this story. Really, the key point... The key thing that you should know about this parable is this. Jesus' word brings into the world the otherworldly power of the kingdom of God. Jesus' word brings into the world the otherworldly power of the kingdom of God. And if that is the case, if that is true and it is true, then listening to Jesus' word is the way into Jesus' kingdom. Listening to Jesus' word is the way into Jesus' kingdom. Remember, this is Christ's first parable in his public ministry. And, and he opens as if to say, look, check this out, listen. And then he says, a sower went out to sow, verse 3. A sower is a reference to a farmer. This was an agrarian culture, as most of you know. They would have been intimately familiar with what a farmer did. But it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say a farmer went out to farm. He says, a sower went out to sow. Sowing seed is only part of what a farmer does. If you are familiar with the agricultural world, then you likely know much better than I do that that farmers work on all kinds of things, right? From from sunup to sundown. But, But the main thing they do is sow seed. They scatter seed into the ground. And I think Jesus is saying something significant in calling this person a sower. He means to tell us that God... God the sower, yes, God runs this universe. God oversees everything that happens in his sovereign wisdom. But listen, the main thing, the main thing God is doing in his world, the main thing God is doing in his history is sowing his word. I wonder if we catch how unusual this is as a way of speaking about a kingdom. The kingdom of God, Jesus says, comes by hearing. That's unique. How does every other kingdom come? Through coercion, (laughs) through force. Every nation on this planet, you don't need a PhD in history to know that every nation on planet Earth, including the United States, has its borders because at some point in either the recent or the distant past, 
that nation crossed the borders of another nation or another people and took that people's land and resources for themselves by force. That's how kingdoms work. Kingdoms come through activity. Kingdoms come through leaders leading, not through listening. That's really an absurd idea if you think about the geopolitical landscape of our planet now or of any time in the history of the world. But the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is is so different from what we would expect a kingdom to be like. Tim Keller puts it like this. He writes, earthly leaders are great at getting a hearing, but the kingdom comes by giving a hearing. This is the primary skill set for those in the kingdom of God. Hearing, listening, giving a hearing. Without it, Jesus says, you cannot enter this kingdom and the power of God cannot come into your life. So why does the kingdom of God work this way? Why is it not something that comes by coercion or by force? I'm sure God, if he wanted to, could do it that way. Why instead does it come by receiving, by by hearing? Think about it with me. Jesus tells us in verse 19, the seed that is being sown represents, verse 19, the word of the kingdom. The word that God sows in the world is the gospel, the the news of the kingdom. So, hearing the truth of the gospel is how one gets into the kingdom, and it's how one bears fruit for the kingdom. So, the content of the word of the kingdom, the gospel, and the manner in which the kingdom comes align. The content of the gospel is that a king came. A king came from heaven and and triumphed over sin and over the devil and over death, our final and greatest enemy. But he didn't triumph by power and by might. He triumphed by being tortured and mutilated and killed on a Roman cross, which was an ancient instrument of torture. Jesus Christ, the king of this world, laid down his life as a suffering servant to atone for our rebellion against him, our sin. And because Jesus was killed for our sin, because Jesus takes on his own shoulders at the cross what each of us, because we're rebels against God, deserve, he brings forgiveness. He brings renewal. He brings hope to any who will receive him. So Jesus Jesus came in a way that no one would have expected a king to come. And now Jesus' kingdom comes in a way no one would expect by hearing. That's why Jesus says so many weird, crazy, topsy-turvy, upside-down things if you read through Matthew or any of the Gospels. Things like the way to have power is to serve others and lay your life down. Things like the way to be truly wealthy is to give away your money. Things like the way to wisdom is to go through a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and learn dependence. The world thinks, then and now, that the message of the kingdom, the message of grace, the message of forgiveness, the message of service and love, is crazy. Just like the world thinks that getting into God's kingdom simply by hearing and not by doing is crazy. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom comes by hearing. 
hearing the good news about who I am and what I have done. People have been forgetting this for centuries. Even in the Bible, people forgot it. John the baptizer, he probably might have been a Baptist, but I'm calling him John the baptizer. He, a couple of chapters before Matthew 13 and Matthew 11, is in prison. And he's been following Jesus for as long as he can remember. He was the one who prepared the way for Jesus. But he's in prison and he's frustrated. And so he says to his followers, hey, go ask Jesus, what's the deal? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the king? Or should we be looking for someone else? Because if you're not the one who is to come, you fooled me. But this thing is not happening the way I thought it would happen. Now, what was John the Baptist, baptizer's issue? It wasn't that he lacked courage, that he lacked activity, that he lacked diligence in following Jesus. It's that he had, in that moment, a bad kingdom theology. He thought that the kingdom would come in the way that, well, the Romans brought their kingdom through taking things over. He expected a Jesus to ride into Jerusalem on a white horse and conquer like a general, not to come in on a donkey and die like a criminal. So it's true that we can easily forget that the method and the message of the kingdom is radically counterintuitive. Maybe that's why you're struggling. (laughs) Maybe you can't just accept, you just can't accept the Christian message. You just can't quite get into belief. Or maybe you say you do believe, but you don't see much fruit in your life that Jesus says the good soil produces. There could be all kinds of reasons for that, but perhaps one of the reasons is because you're thinking about the kingdom in the wrong terms. You're thinking that we get into the kingdom by doing and by leading instead of by what Jesus says, hearing and following. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus right now is not asking for conquerors. Jesus is not asking for people who are on top of it. Jesus is not asking you. He is not asking you to go and storm the castle with him. He's not asking you to achieve and perform for him. Jesus wants listeners. The good shepherd, as Jesus calls himself in another gospel, asks his sheep, above all else, listen. Listen to my voice. That's why he tells this parable. That's why he says in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. That's why he says, take heed how you hear. Do you want to get into the kingdom of life, the kingdom of joy, the kingdom of hope? The only way in is by listening to Jesus. So how are you listening? That's what the second part of the parable is about. Let's look at those soils together. Take heed how you hear, Jesus says. Of course, there are, there are four types of soil, right, that Jesus describes in this story. And then he tells us in his own interpretation, by the way, most of Jesus' parables, he doesn't interpret for us. Thankfully, he does interpret this one. He says the soil represents, it's a metaphor for the human heart. That's what his own interpretation makes plain. And as we look at these this morning, I got to tell you, friends, my instinct this week was to shield you from what Jesus is saying here. Because I want you to come back next week. My instinct this week, I, I promise you, was to shield my own heart from what Jesus is saying. And do you know what that says? That says that this is a text that is intended for self-reflection. Not you reflecting on how much your spouse needs to hear this. 
Not you reflecting on how much your neighbor needs to hear it, or your boss, or your students at school, but on how much you need to hear it. This is a text that calls for honest self-reflection. The parable really is asking, how are you hearing? What type of soil are you? Is your heart receptive to Jesus' word? Let's look at the four soils and then we'll be finished, okay? The first soil is the hard soil. Verse 4, Jesus describes it, then he explains it in 18 and 19. This is hard soil. The, the seed falls on the path, and Jesus says birds come and snatch it up before it can sink into the earth. And Jesus tells us, verse 19, these are people who hear the gospel but do not understand it. Now listen, these are not people. They're not people who've never been to church and who've never heard the gospel. There are hard-soiled hearts in every church in the world every week. This is people who listen with the intellect only. Did you hear that, you Reformed Presbyterians that like theology? These are people who listen with the intellect only. These are people who have read the Bible. They might have heard an evangelist. They might have been to Sunday school. Will talked about Sunday school earlier. You might say, I want to go to Sunday school. Whoa! Well, you could still have hard soil covering your heart because the message doesn't penetrate into your heart at all. It's possible, Jesus is saying, to have regular contact with the Scripture, but it's never made a personal impact. These are the people for whom Christianity is only theoretical. Have you ever experienced the truth? Have you ever seen this, this story, this message, as something, as something more than just a system of teachings for you to adhere to? Is the gospel a personal discovery for you? Has the word preached or, or read or, or taught ever dawned on you? So that, so that you begin to see things about yourself that you had never seen before. So that you look at the text and then you think, I'm like that. I need that. Have you ever read the scripture or heard the scripture where you felt that you were waking up from sleep? Where you thought, this, this is talking about me. Has it ever thrilled you? If not, you might be hard soil. My youngest brother, Robert, uh, has always been, <clears throat> and still is, a really remarkable golfer. He started playing golf when he was about eight years old. And um, as he moved through the high school and middle school ranks, he was quite a great golfer. And my dad had coached him for some time, but he soon surpassed my dad's ability. And so we started looking for a golf coach for Robert. And um, I remember my parents, my dad really, interviewing and talking with all these different golf coaches. And we thought we had found the guy. My dad thought, this guy is an amazing coach. He can tell Robert everything about the mechanics of his swing and his grip, how to hit a hook, how to hit a fade, how to put some touch on your putts, etc. He had it down. And I remember Robert asking this prospective coach, where did you play golf? And the coach replied, oh, I don't play golf. I just think about golf and teach golf, but I've never played. He was not the coach. It's possible to know a lot about something, to even be able to instruct people in something, 
but not to have experienced it yourself. That's the hard soil. Jesus warns against listening with the intellect only. The second soil is shallow. Verse 5 and 6, then verse 20 and 21. Notice this seed, Jesus tells us, verse 5, it, it springs up quickly. There's quick growth. But then three times, Jesus emphasizes that the soil was shallow. Look at what he says. They did not have much soil. They had no depth of soil. They had no roots. So this person, in the interpretation, receives the gospel, verse 20, with joy. Do you see that there? With joy, initially, but falls away when trouble comes, verse 21, because of the word. Who are the people who are shallow-soiled in their hearts? These are people who have only an emotional response. Only an emotional response to the gospel. But there's no real rootedness. They've had experiences that were powerful. That were emotive. They feel like God has changed their lives. At least they felt like that at times. They've been really, really excited about Jesus. But they're shallow And the seed does not take root. Why? Verse 6 tells us because they can't take the heat of the scorching sun. What is the heat of the scorching sun? Verse 21. Jesus says, tribulation or persecution arising on account of the word. When those things come, they fall away. Fall away is far too weak a translation. The actual word is scandalized. They're scandalized. What once excited them now repulses them. I've been a pastor for some years now, and I've seen this many times. I've seen this many times in my own life and in my own ministry. When Marianne and I were serving in Arizona some years ago, we had a young girl who was in college and came to faith in a pretty remarkable conversion. She was excited about Jesus. She started to get involved in our church. She was interested in meeting with me and with our women's leaders and learning and growing and serving And then things in her life, frankly, just got really challenging. She lost some relationships. Her mom began to struggle. She had all kinds of challenges, and she just stopped showing up. We didn't see her anymore. She wouldn't return our calls until finally one day I reached out to her, and she said, I don't want you to call me anymore. What's the problem with the shallow soil? The shallow soil hears about Jesus They hear about Jesus as their benefactor, but not as their Lord. The shallow soil wants Jesus to come into his or her kingdom instead of he or she going into Jesus' kingdom. You see why I wanted to shield you. The shallow soil doesn't really want Jesus. The shallow soil wants what Jesus can give them. So there's no long-term fruitfulness. Shallow soil is like jello. It's artificial sweetening. It's not real fruit. So, beware of only emotional responses. Now, you presbies are cheering me inside, I know. You're definitely not going to cheer me externally. You're cheering me internally. I'm not saying emotions are nothing. They're not nothing, presbies. Nor are they everything. They can certainly be deceptive. Commentator Frederick Bruner put it like this, the test of true faith is not whether someone has ever had a dramatic conversion experience, 
something that this soil shows not to be foolproof. The third soil is distracted. Verse 7. Verse 22. This is the scariest of all the four soils, in my opinion. It's fairly clear of the four soils that they're all in the church, at least at some point. The first two soils, it's fairly clear, are not truly converted. The fourth soil truly is converted pretty clearly. But with the distracted soil, the third soil, it's harder to tell. I mean, look what Jesus says. He says this soil, it takes, the, the seed takes root in this soil, unlike soil one, unlike soil two. But verse seven, it's choked by thorns. And so it's not as fruitful as it otherwise would be. It's divided in allegiance this soil. This soil is a reference to people whose hearts are distracted. Notice also that the seed, it doesn't necessarily die. It just doesn't do much. Verse 22, it's unfruitful. Jesus's interpretation is provocative. It's powerful. Remember the second soil. The second soil didn't have enough depth because it couldn't handle what? Hard stuff, persecution, tribulation. But Jesus says the distracted soil, the choked out soil, can't handle prosperity. Verse 22, Jesus says the thorns that choke this soil out and this seed out are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. It's a this-worldliness. A this-worldliness that competes with the sower's work and consumes the soil's potential. So these are the people who are divided. They're divided in their loyalty. Jesus' voice is just one voice among many. They're committed to Jesus, but he doesn't have sole control. He shares control. And because of that, their Christian life is choked out. Are you being choked? Are you being choked out? The distracted soil represents those who are casual, those who are flippant, those who are not seeing the real power of God in their lives, those who aren't experiencing any meaningful change. So they're always anxious. They're always fearful. They're the worry warts. They're the perennially frustrated. They're the ones, frankly, who do most of the complaining in churches and very little of the serving. They're the ones who are continually looking for satisfaction and contentment in things like work or pleasure or stuff or wealth. The acreage of their lives is torn between two types of seed, between two types of plants. Sadly, this may be the largest category of church-going people in the United States. Church is just another box. It's just another box. They check off to live a good life. But listening to Jesus in his word and making it their north star, no, that's not happening. So these people hang around. They might give a bit. They might serve a bit. But there's always a divided loyalty, always a divided priority in their hearts, which stifles growth, which stifles fruitfulness. Old commentator Matthew Henry says this, There are many that are very glad to hear a good sermon that yet do not profit by it. They may be pleased with the word and yet not changed and ruled by it. 
Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century English preacher, gives this old illustration. And he says, you know, if you're a Christian, you're on the ship, you're on the boat headed to heaven. You can't fall off the boat. You're not going to fall off the boat. But you can fall on the boat, break all your bones, and spend the entire trip in the infirmary. That's possible. That's the choked, the divided, the distracted soil. The final soil, Jesus says, verse 8 and verse 23, is fruitful. This is the soil that Jesus says, hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The fruitful soil represents those with open ears and open hearts who are hearing Jesus. They welcome Jesus' word. They accept Jesus' word. Jesus' word goes deep into the heart and it begins to bear fruit. Here's one thing you need to hear from this. Being a fruitful Christian is not complicated. Did you hear me? Being a fruitful Christian is not complicated. It's about coming under Jesus' voice, coming under Jesus' message. It's about everything in your life, frankly, being supplemental to listening to the word of Jesus. The way to be actively fruitful is first to passively listen, to receive the word, to let it change you. The fruitful soil is the soil that regularly lets seed in and regularly gets fruit out. It's that simple. The soil's whole task can be summarized in one mandate. Give the seed room. Give the seed room. You can do that. If you've committed your life to Christ in faith, if you've received his Holy Spirit, you can be a fruitful Christian. Anyone hearing this can be a fruitful Christian. How, pastor? Listen to Jesus. And the super encouraging part of this text is that the soil that bears fruit bears an overwhelming amount of it. The good gospel math of the parable of the sower is not to focus on the fact that, well, if you take it literally, one-fourth of the soil is all that bears fruit. I don't actually think that's required as we interpret the text. I think the better gospel math is that those who are fruitful are overwhelmingly fruitful. They, they yield an overwhelming harvest to God's glory. And for the good of this world. So fruitful soil is going to be amazingly fruitful. Jesus is saying that is what God is going to do in this world. That's what he is doing right now. I'm like a blind farmer just scattering seed in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is going to change the world. Because the Holy Spirit has promised to work through his word as it's taught, as it's read, as it's proclaimed. It is going to change the world. And it has. We'll look at this more in the coming weeks when Jesus said these words. His kingdom consisted of about 12 disciples, 11 11 of whom were actual disciples, and all 11 of whom had no clue what was going on. And now the kingdom of Jesus consists of literally billions of people of every nation and skin color and language around this world, the seed that Jesus sows in human hearts changes the world. You can be fruitful seed. Listen. Listen to Jesus. What kind of soil are you? Are you listening? How can you become good, fruitful soil? 
you can give yourself to the voice of Jesus Christ. His voice is gentle. His voice is kind. His voice is asking you to ask him for help. Let his word radically reorient your life. Tell Jesus, Jesus, I am getting choked. Tell him that. Tell him that right now. I've got thorns, Jesus. Tell Jesus, I'm shallow. I'm not seeing any change. Tell Jesus, I'm hard-hearted. And remember, you can't pull yourself into fruitfulness, out of thorniness, any more than soil without the sun and without rain can make seeds bear fruit. You can't increase the depth of soul on your own, but Jesus can. In fact, he promises to do that. So listen, everyone in the room, Jesus wants to hear from you. I don't care where you are spiritually or where you've been. Jesus wants to hear from you. He wants to have you ask him to pull out my thorns, Jesus. Make me fruitful, Jesus. Another way to say this is what the Apostle Paul says and what Jesus says elsewhere, to repent and to believe. And what will his answer be? I've been waiting on you to ask. I've been waiting on you to ask. After all, I took your thorns in a crown on my head when I died a bloody death for you to be forgiven. I was buried in a shallow grave with a stone rolled in front of it, hard as the rocky soil. But I came out of that tomb so that you could have life. Ask me to help you be fruitful, and he will indeed answer. What kind of soil are you? Are you listening to Jesus? Let's pray.